joy, 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 heaven, you joy, joy. So, hi, Davy. Hi, Dunbar. <laughs> I want to know about what your early life was like. Before Ananda? Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I've been thinking about that a lot recently, actually, because I was wondering, who was I as a child? I remember I have very clear early memories. And I remember being in the crib, so I was maybe months old, and, I, and my mother would put mosquito net around the crib because we lived in an area, St. Louis, Missouri, in the Mississippi River Valley, where there were a lot of mosquitoes in the summer. And I remember as an infant thinking, I am a princess. Why did they put me in this cage with these bars and this mosquito? I mean, where did those thoughts come from? I No one had ever read me a story about a princess. And then I remember very clearly, I must have been about four years old, I was looking in a magazine that belonged to my parents, and I couldn't read yet, but there must have been an advertisement for Autobiography of a Yogi, because I remember looking at the picture of Master and being just fascinated by it. I couldn't tell, was this a man, was this a woman, but I just remember looking at it. And then, as I got a little bit older, I there was a certain inner detachment that I never really felt a part. I had a loving family, a wonderful mother and father, very kind, uh, older brother. We had a nice affinity, nice neighborhood, etc., etc. But I never felt a part of it. I always felt like an observer. And like I was watching this life and I was watching the people do what they did, make decisions, plan vacations, go to work, etc., etc. But I, I always felt like I was just observing them, that I wasn't, it really wasn't my world. And it, it's interesting that you ask, because I've been thinking about that a lot recently. Who, who am I? Where did, what did I bring into this life that has led me to this point now? I'll be 76 years old in December. And I, I just thought, Master, how did you find me? Why did you find me? What was the trajectory of this life? What am I supposed to become? And so that's really my memories from childhood. I had a joyful childhood, stable, secure, good friends. But still, there was always a sense, I don't belong here. And then when I was a teenager, I remember going out into our backyard in the suburbs of St. Louis, Missouri, and just thinking, I've got to get out of here. I've got to get out of here. And I didn't know where I wanted to go, but I knew that world wasn't mine. A lot of teenagers possibly feel I want to get out of here, but I think right. maybe yours was deeper. <laughs> so uh, how was it after your teenage years? Well, it was interesting. In retrospect, it was as though Master had a planned course for me. And he left, gave me a lot of leeway, which was probably good. But in my senior year of college, 
I was taking a course in world literature. I had a, I went to a very fine public high school, but it was one of the top 10 in the country. And just wonderful teachers, wonderful art program, dance program, creative writing, all those things. And in that world literature course, it was taught by a woman teacher, and she gave us to read the Bhagavad Gita. And I read it, and I can't say I understood it, but I loved it. I just loved I was raised in a Jewish family, but that religion, again, I felt like an outsider. It never felt like mine. And then when I read the Bhagavad Gita, it was like, oh, this the truths here are just so wonderful. And she suggested, she was a member, curiously, of the Vedanta Society in St. Louis, which is the organization that Ramakrishna's great disciple Swami Vivekananda founded in the West. And there was a very large and well-known center in St. Louis, of all places. And she said, you all, if you're interested, if you enjoyed the Gita, you might enjoy going one day. And so I remember three of my girlfriends and I went one Sunday, and there was this little Indian Swami, he was in orange robes, and his little, he was old, but his little face was just lined with joy lines from bliss. And he gave a discourse and his accent was so thick, I couldn't understand a word he said, but I felt something, felt there was something transferred. And then I remember at the end, they gave us prashad, a little cup of um, kheer, rice pudding, and it, with different Indian spices, cardamom and so forth. And it just, it was so familiar to me. And so that was like Master was saying, this is now listen here because this is where you're going. And then I started college, and it was all forgotten. And I, I just got caught up in the intellectual and the social world. And um, I had again, I had a good experience in college. I did well. I graduated with honors, Phi Beta Kappa, and all that stuff. But again, it was like I was watching. It wasn't my life. And I majored in anthropology, cultural anthropology. And what interested me was how a society molds the consciousness of the people in it. So, you know, the different anthropologists would go to different little remote tribes and live with them and study. And how their the worldview of the tribe affected the consciousness and the perception of those members. And I was just so curious about that. And then I, I did a particular study on the kibbutzim of the communities in uh, Israel. And so it was curious because both those interests, the communities and that was being planted, and then the spiritual thread that was being planted. So Master was step by step, he was weaving into my life the threads that were going to really stand out. And then finally, my again, my senior year, last semester, I was taking a course on the poet, mystical poet William Blake. And whole course on his poetry, wonderful experience. But I, re, I met someone who was a disciple of Yogananda, who was a member of SRF. And um, he said, oh, I meditate. And I thought, hmm, meditation, I, I'd like to do that. And so one day I said, 
you know, uh, I'd like to go where, with you one day when you meditate. So we went to a church on campus and we sat there. I didn't know anything. I, I didn't know any techniques. I didn't know anything. But I just sat to meditate and I, in the quiet of a church. And I felt this joy welling up inside of me. I, I'd never had, it was always there, but it came to the forefront. And I, um, and we walked out of there, and I said to my friend, I said, it's all inside of you. And he was not of that train of thought. And he said, oh, no, 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 no. You have to take lessons in the mail, and you have to get instructions. You can't just experience something on your own. And I thought, oh, I guess I missed the point. So I started getting these lessons in the mail. And he also said, you should read Autobiography of a Yogi. So I got the book. I started reading it. But it was my last semester. I was right in the middle of finals. I couldn't concentrate on it. And I started getting these lessons in the mail. And I thought, mm, this isn't how I'm going to learn how to meditate. I need a teacher. I knew I needed a personal teacher because that's how, that's how I learn, by tuning into somebody, not just reading. And so <clears throat> the same fellow who had given me autobiography, he said, you know, I just heard about this place out in California. This was uh, June 1969, where it's led by a direct disciple of Paramahansa Yogananda, and they've got a community and a retreat there. And I thought, oh, okay, that's how I'm going to learn how to meditate. And I was, I graduated, as I said, with honors. I was accepted to several graduate schools, but I was so tired of school. Hmm. So I thought, well, I'll go. I wasn't sure what to do. I thought, I'll go to this place. It was called Ananda. And the address was the most magical address I had ever heard. 900 Allegheny Star Route. I thought, this is like a different planet. And I, I, I'm going to go there. And I'll go there for the summer. And then I'll figure out what I'm going to do next. You know, which graduate school I'm going to go to, et cetera, et cetera. And so I got, I finished my last final. I, I, I didn't even stay for graduation, which again, it was like, that's not my world. I don't really care about wearing these robes and getting a diploma. And even though I had honors and so forth, but I got a ride off the student ride board from Madison, Wisconsin to San Jose, California. And then from there, I took a Greyhound bus to Nevada City, California. And I don't know, I guess I wrote because they knew I was coming. There were no computers. They didn't have any phones even. But somebody picked me up at the Greyhound bus station in an old beat up pickup truck. And they said, okay, you get in the back. And I had a little backpack and a sleeping bag and I think I had a little suitcase too. And that's all I had. And I thought, this is interesting. I've never ridden even in the front of a pickup truck before, much like the back of a pickup truck. And then this guy who was driving said, oh, uh, we have one stop to make before we go up to Ananda, the used auto parts store, not even the regular auto parts store, but essentially a junkyard. And so here I was in the back of this old beat up pickup truck. I've been traveling for three days without taking a shower. I was pretty crumpled and rumpled. And we stopped at the used auto parts store. And then we got to the, it was 4th of July, 1969. And that was actually the day that they signed the deed 
for the farm property. And Jantish teases me like, you waited until we got the property before you came. So I, they just dumped me there on the lawn of what, of what is now Master's Market. And I didn't know anybody. I didn't know where I was supposed to go. There was nobody there. I had my backpack and sleeping bag. And, and I didn't know what to do. And so I kind of looked around and I saw an old rusty um, folding chair against a tree. And all I had done all my life, I had some part-time jobs, but basically I had s sat in a chair and listened to a teacher talk at me. And so I unfolded the chair and waited. And sure enough, I felt this energy. The teacher came, but I was Swami Kriyananda. Uh -huh. And I felt this energy behind me coming. It was like a wind. I thought, what is that? What is this movement of energy? And this man walked by me, and he had Bermuda shorts on, and his hair, he had long hair, but it was tied back in a little bun. He wasn't very big, tall, but powerful energy. I'd never been in the presence of somebody like that. I didn't know who it was. And he came up to me. I was bedraggled, believe me. I think I didn't, I think I was not the most fragrant person either at that moment in my life. And this man came up to me and he looked at me and he said, you look like a Phi Beta Kappa. And I thought, how in the world would he know that? <laughs> I mean, I look like something that the cat dragged in. And I said, well, I am. And, and then he just kept moving. But it was that moment where he knew me, you know. I thought, who is this man? He, how does he know this about me? And then somebody else was with him, and they came up and they said, that's Swami Kriyananda. Mm. And that was my first introduction. Mm. And then I guess I just put my sleeping bag. I don't remember exactly how it all unfolded after that. But then there were some people, and they helped me um, get settled. I think I put my sleeping bag out on a hill, and my little belongings, there was a little shed, I put them in there. And then it unfolded from there. But it was as though all the little steps were laid out till that moment where that man walked up mm. to me and looked into my soul. Mm. And, and just with that little simple word, he was saying, I know you. Mm. Thank you. So what were your early memories of being in Ananda? Oh, it was beautiful. It was... I felt like I belonged for the first time in my life. Remember, I was saying I never felt like I belonged. And I felt, okay, this is subjective, and then I'll talk about objective. But I felt, I remember one of the first thoughts that came to me was, I don't have to play games anymore. I don't have to pretend like I'm somebody I'm not. I don't have to pretend like who people expect me to be. I can just be myself take it or leave it. And it was so freeing. And and just, that was the main thing. I felt free and at home. There was almost nothing here then. There were, oh, I don't know, maybe 20 people. And of those 20 people, maybe 25, of those 25 people, 10 of them were really disciples. It was uh, Jayan, Shivani, Jyotish, um, Sadhana Devi, and those were the main ones that, and then there were peripheral people, but they, 
a lot of people came at that time just because it was a hippie commune and and they were some of them were quite nice but they didn't this wasn't their life mm -hmm. but so in those first my life in those first that first summer let's put it that way <clears throat> was I worked in the garden and um, it was just wonderful and there was a, a man who came the following year, he wasn't there the first summer, Hanel Cassidy, and he was the mentor, the gardening mentor. He was a lifelong disciple of Master and, and an organic gardener. And Swamiji asked him to come because he was starting a community. He was living in the Encinitas area at the time. And he said, will you help us start organic gardens at this community? And Hanel agreed. And so he trained all of us, Ananta and Maria and Kirtani and uh, so many of the old timers, uh, Dave Rashi later, and in organic gardening. But it, it was more than gardening. I mean, it wasn't just, it was about tuning into the life force. That's how he worked. That's what gardening was to him tuning into the divine life force, which animates all things. And it, it was just wonderful. We were young, we didn't get tired. We'd work all day long in the hot sun and um, you know, stop and have a little lunch and then keep going. And it was, it, it was just marvelous. And then during the week, Swamiji would be gone because he would be in cities throughout Northern California and Sacramento, um, the Bay Area and Sacramento, teaching different every night of the week to earn money to pay for the land because mm -hmm. he in those first years he did it all and then he'd come back on weekends and he would um, give classes every Saturday morning he would do private interviews Saturday afternoon sat Saturday night then this was all up at the meditation retreat I was living at the farm at the time and Saturday night he would do a program he would sing songs or show slides or tell stories of India entertaining but uplifting mm -hmm. and then Sunday morning he would do chanting and meditation and he taught us all to meditate and you know it was amazing I hadn't really meditated uh, had instruction meditation or meditated before I got there but somehow being in Swami's vibration with his training it just seemed the most natural thing in the world to be meditating every morning for a good hour and then in the evening for however long half hour 45 minutes and it, it just seemed like oh I've been doing this all my life if I had stopped and thought it would this is kind of an unusual thing to be picking up, but it, it seemed utterly natural. And then I should add, remember I said <clears throat> I couldn't get into autobiography of a yogi. Then when I got to Ananda and Swamiji began, he was the doorway mm -hmm. for me and most of us to find Master and to tune to him. And I remember one, then I started reading autobiography and then it, it spoke to me and I just lost myself in it. But I remember one afternoon, it had to be a Thursday because in those days um, we were in silence and fasting on Thursdays. And I would, for some reason I was up at the meditation retreat and I was sitting out in now what's called the Temple of Leaves adjacent to the, the temple. 
and I was sitting cross-legged on the, you know, on the ground reading autobiography, and a long time went by. I don't know how long, but maybe some hours. And then finally my back was getting a little stiff, and I kind of leaned back to stretch, and I touched something a little bit cold. felt a little funny, and I looked around, and there was a rattlesnake coiled up behind me, sleeping. And I don't know how long it had been there, but anyway, and when I touched it, it didn't wake up. It kept sleeping. It kind of moved a little bit. And I was, I could see the rattle and, you know, I could tell it was a rattlesnake. And I jumped up and I ran into the dining room, but everyone was in silence. And so I got a piece of paper and I wrote, snake, snake, and I held it up. And no, you know, nobody knew what to do. And by that time, I think the fellow had slithered off into the trees, but Anyway, that, there were many adventures like that, always new adventures and things you'd never done before and things that took you so much out of your, out of your mental uh, self-identity. You know, it's like, oh, okay, now I'm supposed to, you know, weed this row of carrots that go all day long, these little baby carrots and pull out the weeds that you could barely tell the weeds from the carrots because they were so little. And <clears throat> for hours and hours and hours, and you go to sleep at night, seeing little baby carrots in your mind. But just so many things. And then I graduated, or I, I shouldn't say graduated, I moved up in my, um, <clears throat> my living situation from just a sleeping bag on the ground to a very high level a tree house. And so I put my sleeping bag in a tree house and slept there for a while. And it was fine, except it was a little tilted. So you'd kind of roll, slide down to the edge of the tree during the night. But anyway, it was, it just was so much fun. And the people were so wonderful, the, the, the other devotees. And I, I just felt this, these are my people. This is, I want to be like them. I want to be with them. They, we have the same goals, even though different backgrounds, different interests, people, it was interesting because they weren't necessarily people that I might have formed a friendship with out in the world, but here it was, friendship was different. It wasn't based on personality, wasn't based on where you went to school, anything like that. It was based on, are you seeking God? And if you are, we're friends. Mm. And it was quite lovely. Mm. And, you know, the community was just forming, pretty chaotic. Jotish was the village manager. And God bless him. I remember it was so chaotic. I, I knew him very peripherally at that time. But I, I always felt if there was a meeting or a discussion and it was getting kind of, I don't know, losing the central focus, as soon as Jotish would walk in the room, I always felt a sense of relief because I thought, okay, we'll get back on track now. Mm. And it was very much his role to be Swami's eyes and ears and hands and feet because Swami was teaching. He couldn't be there with us on a day-to-day -day basis. But Jotish helped everything to stay focused mm. and not get too far out there. Davy, those early days sound so fun and we've come so far since then. How do we keep that spirit? Well, that's a good question. The spirit was 
drawn from several sources. One was Master, of course. One was Swami's attunement to Master and the vision that he shared with all of us. But it was also, remember we were talking about how it was all new, mm -hmm. how to keep it ever new, ever new joy. And so never to say, well, this is how we've always done it. But we see now with the young people coming and it makes us so happy that they're wanting to do things in tune, but in new ways. Mm -hmm. And so never to kind of become ossified because, you know, this is a worldwide work. The mission of Babaji and Master is destined to change human consciousness in Dwapara Yuga. We've hardly begun. And so just not to think, well, you know, okay, the fun days are over, or it's all been done, it's all set in stone. It's written on the water. It's not set in stone. And it's up to everybody to say, how can I do it? in a new way? How can I express joy in such a way that it's never been done before? And to keep in our personal lives, to keep them fresh and alive, in our, in our community lives, to keep them growing new expressions and creativity and being open to the changes and the needs of society. The needs of society as a whole now are quite different than when they when Ananda first started. And the ways of of reaching people are you know diametrically different than when we first started. So keeping looking, how can we express master, how can we express your joy, your love, your wisdom in ways now that are appropriate. Mm -hmm. And you know, just like <clears throat> right now we're in the midst of every April, we have the what's what we called springtime at Ananda, uh, the tulip festival here at Ananda Village at the Crystal Hermitage Gardens. And, you know, 17,000 tulips. And I think the number of people coming, as last report, was 14,000. So it's just astonishing, the people that are coming. We started this about oh, eight years ago, not that long ago. and. It, so in, we had, for years, we had had open houses for Nevada County, where Ananda Village is located. And we'd advertise, and we'd put up posters, and we did radio interviews. Nobody would come. We'd get maybe 75 people on a weekend. And, you know, that was that. But then you plant beautiful gardens filled with tulips and pansies and... Um, cherry blossoms and lilacs and um, what it, uh, the time word is Galicini, wisteria. Mm. And people come by the thousands and they are just delighted and thrilled. And we live right on the uh, edge of these gardens. We can hear people laughing and, mm. and just having a wonderful time. And so this is a new way to reach people. And inevitably people say, what do you people do here? You know, they said there's got to be something behind all this beauty and joy. And we said, well, there is. And we, we have people that greet people and talk with them and share what our, what our community is about. But that's a new way to reach people in a world that <clears throat> where nature and beauty isn't that readily available. Mm -hmm.
I'm not remembering the exact quote, but it was Zach um, talking about how people will come to farmers markets and they'll start talking about farmers markets, but right. they'll end up talking about spirituality. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. There's a beautiful story that uh, one of the Lalita, one of the women who uh, caretakes the Crystal Hermitage, told us. This was several years ago, but this family came into the dome of the Crystal Hermitage where it's two levels. There's an entry level and then there's some steps and then a big dome with a beautiful altar with pictures of our line of masters. And this family came in, a mother and father and a little girl about six years old. And the parents stood up on the upper level, but the little girl ran down and ran right up to the altar and was just staring at the pictures. And Lalita was there and said to her, do you know who these pictures are? And the little girl said, no. And then she, Lalita pointed to the picture of Jesus Christ. And she said, well, assuming that they were Christian, mm -hmm. she said, you know who that is? And the little girl said, no. And then the parents came, but she just kept staring at the pictures. The parents came down and walked up to the little girl and they were crying. And they said, this is our miracle girl. She was born with a brain tumor and has had numerous repeated surgeries, and we never know how long she's gonna be mm. with us. But we don't go to church, but seeing her interest in these pictures, we're gonna start taking her to church. Not Ananda, but to a church that they can relate to. And again, that came from the tulips. Mm. Mm. So it's just so beautiful. So sweet. Dave, can you share some early memories of Swami and what he taught you? Oh, my goodness. <clears throat> Swami was the, he was the best. <laughs> you know, I, I look at his picture many times a day and I think, I had no idea who you were when you were with us. You kept it veiled from us. But he was the kindest, wisest, most loving, most understanding person that I will ever meet in this lifetime. He was really, I think, I think he had been my father in a lot of lifetimes because I always felt like that with him. I always felt, I had a nice father, but I, again, I never really felt like he was my father. He was a good man, a very good man, and I don't want to denigrate him in any way, but Swami was my spiritual father. And he he took us from just rough and tumble, brand new on the spiritual path, <clears throat> not knowing much about the teachings, not knowing much about the path or anything. And he, he made us feel that we could do it, that we, had what it took within us to walk on the spiritual path. He never talked down to us. He always talked up to us. He always made us feel ennobled. That was the thing. When you're in his presence, everyone felt ennobled and uplifted. He was such a noble soul, so clearly a king in many lifetimes, so refined, but not with any sense of formality or um, condescension to others, just an innate dignity that influenced everything he did and everyone around him. 
And <clears throat> I, a couple of the early memories I had once um, he invited a group of us and I held him in awe for the first several months because I, he, I didn't, I had never spent time with him personally, but I was just in awe. And once he invited a large group of us to go into the nearby town, Nevada City, to see the Walt Disney movie, Swiss Family Robinson. And we all, there were maybe 30 of us, and we trundled into the movie theater and everyone found a seat. And as it turned out, Swami was sitting two seats in from the aisle, or one seat in from the aisle, and there was an empty seat next to him, so no one else was around, so I sat there. And the movie began, Swiss Family Robinson, if you know, <clears throat> it's the story of a family that's shipwrecked on an island, and how they kind of, from nothing, they build a very fun little life and have many adventures. And I couldn't put the, the two things together of this great yogi, and spiritual teacher and this pleasant but kind of childish movie and I kept looking over at Swami out of the corner of my eye and finally I said Swamiji are you enjoying this movie and he smiled blissfully and he said oh yes I've seen it seven times and I just it blew my mind but again genuine real creative expansive fun, delight in life, overcoming obstacles, all of those things he lived. And then I remember, <clears throat> so that was one of the first encounters. And then another time, I was still quite shy around him. I never thought of myself as a shy person, but I think I am, and just in retrospect. But um, he, he was sitting, I think it was after Sunday service, and there were always kind of a group of people around him and most of them aren't around anymore, but that kind of the quote inner circle, at least so they, they thought. And so Swami was sitting with them and he kind of, I was walking by and he kind of motioned to me to come over and I, I came over and he said, a group of us are going to, uh, going to go up to Mount Shasta. I'm giving, I've been invited to give a talk there at a bookstore and we're going to go camping and, you know, have a nice little week-long trip, would you like to come? And I have to admit, I was I was sort of too shy to go, and I said, oh, Swami, I have an eye doctor's appointment, which I did, but I mean, clearly, you know, I was making an excuse. And he just looked at me and he said, couldn't you change it? And I, I kind of looked down embarrassed and I said, yes, Swami, I can change it. And so I went on that trip with the group and it was magical, it was just magical. I remember one day, <clears throat> so we were camping out and we were cooking our own meals with Swamiji and we all had, I guess, I didn't have a tent, but I guess I was with somebody else who had a tent. And um, one day Swami said, well, let's hike up Mount Shasta. And um, there was one of our founding members, Satya. He was a mm -hmm. wonderful, wonderful soul. He's passed away, but he'd been a student of Swami's in the Bay Area and just a wonderful soul and a, really a deep yogi. And I remember at one point we, we were climbing up Mount Shasta and we stopped for a, a little level area for everybody to just relax and rest a bit. And Satya took off his shirt and just sat in the sun. It was just about 10 minutes 
And after that 10 minutes, I looked at him and he just had this bronze tan. And I said, Sati, what did you do? And he said, oh, well, Master said, if you consciously absorb the sun's rays, you can get 10 times the benefit. And in 10 minutes, he was just bronze. But then we kept going up the mountain and all of a sudden, these streams of monarch butterflies began floating down on the air currents. And it happened to be the one day of the year where the monarch butterflies hatch higher up in, on the mountain and then come down. And then they begin migrating in the area. And we were literally walking through clouds of monarch butterflies. And Swami was like the prow over the ship. He just very sensitively, sensitively and quietly just walked through and they parted and so we could all walk through. And in the back of my mind, I was thinking, Swami, does this always happen wherever you go? I mean, it was just like this magical thing. And, and then Swami gave a talk and uh, at a bookstore, it was very nice. And then we were, this was a little, I haven't actually told this story before. This is a little down part of it that, um, Afterwards, we had had dinner with the woman who was hosting us in her home. There were, you know, I don't know, maybe 10 of us. And then afterwards, somebody said, well, what should we do now? And I kind of made a bad joke. I said, oh, maybe we could play cards. And he looked at me very strongly and he said, Davy, what's become of you? And I thought, oh my God, I really blew it. I was just, but what he was picking up was, because my parents always used to play cards after dinner. Was my consciousness had dropped. I wasn't in tune with him anymore. I, you know, I pulled away, and it was it was a good warning for me. You know, don't be too casual. You can be around him, but you always have to be mindful to keep your consciousness uplifted. And from that little kind of scary moment, or you know, corrective moment, I learned that, and I think it was. Jatish and I were very fortunate to spend a great deal of time with him personally. But I think I understood in that moment, you keep your mouth shut, not in a constrictive way, but only say things that are uplifting and helpful, and you keep your consciousness always uplifted. And otherwise you're uh, desecrating the consciousness of the vibration of a great soul. Hmm. So that was a good lesson. It was both beautiful and uh, disciplinary mm -hmm. at the same time. Mm -hmm. Tell me how you got your name. Oh, well, it was again, there's a little backstory. When I was, again, I have these very clear memories from childhood. I remember being <clears throat> in first grade and we were learning how to write and we were writing our, remember, if you had this experience, you'd get these pieces of paper when you were learning to write, and they had two blue lines, and a little broken blue line between, and that's how you learn capital and, and small case. And so we, the teacher was, you know, she'd write our name, and then we had to write it. My birth name that my parents gave me was Phyllis. And so I was writing P-H-Y-L. And then I kind of paused, and I thought, that's not my name. And then I thought, well, what is your name then? And I didn't know. And then I thought about it and I thought, it's something like Debbie, but not with the B's. 
And I, that was all I could think of. And then, how many years later, maybe 18 years later, I, I was with a friend in a restaurant in Nevada City. I was living at Ananda. And Swami Kriyananda walked in. He was with one or two other people. They walked into that same little restaurant to have lunch. And he came up to me and he said, I'm going to give you the name Davy, and it means Divine Mother, and you'd better live up to it. And they walked away. I was just stunned. I mean, I didn't ask, but again, he then after some days later, I remembered that incident from my childhood when I was searching for that name. But, you know, I share these, this story. You asked how I got the name. But these experiences, believe me, it's not unique to me or <clears throat> puts me in some kind of special category. The plan for each of our lives is the story has been written long ago, how we are to find God. In fact, I remember once, <clears throat> again, in the early days of Ananda, it was one of the early Kriya initiations that I went to. Not the first one, but an early one that Swami gave. And of course, you go up for the blessings of the minister who's giving it. And then afterwards, a small group of us gathered around Swamiji. And Swami said, I had a unique experience as I was blessing each of you. I felt the unique path each one of you would walk to find God. It was different for each one of you, and yet there I could feel the path that each one of you would walk. And what is, I mean, what's the conclusion one draws from that? That that story is written, how each one of us will find God and the path that we are to walk and the obstacles we'll face, the things, the hardships we need to deal with and overcome, the successes and failures, all of that. But it's all written. And that's why I think about my childhood, my early childhood a lot. Not so much about events, but who was I? And how is that still, how, where's the continuity? What did I come into this life with? What am I supposed to learn? What have I added? What have I gained? What have I lost, perhaps? And how do I wrap it up? How do I complete the journey? Would you like to share anything about that introspection process that you've been in? There isn't that much more to say. I'm just trying to feel what was that spark of consciousness that I came into this life with. Mm -hmm. And I think there's also a quality that I notice as I get older. This may sound odd to say, but as you know, recently we've lost two very beautiful senior members of Ananda, uh, Seva and Anandi. And it surprises me the detachment with which I experience their losses, for sure. Anandi particularly was a close personal friend. But there's some part of me that observes it still and knows that we're not separated. We'll be together again. And that this story, the story of Ananda, the story of my life and your life, it's, 
it's really just God's dream and not to get too caught up in it. And that's why I think about my childhood because that's that was a beginning of a story that had ended earlier and then began again. And this story will end. And hopefully if I have to come back, it will be a, on a higher level of awareness. But it is just, I think it's helpful mm -hmm. to try to remember who we really are in our essential nature because that helps us to understand the lessons we need to learn in this life mm -hmm. and how to feel, you know, when we come in from a new incarnation from the astral world, we've been in a land of freedom and to try to remember what that was like, that freedom, that non not being confined by the body, by the personality. Because when we're little, we don't have much of a personality. We kind of get one over time. But anyway, it's fun. It's fun to try to go back to our spiritual heritage of, our, of many incarnations and to kind of say, well, there's been some good ones and bad ones and kind of ones in between. But I'm kind of, I'm not that interested anymore <laughs> in these stories. You yeah. know, I, I think I just want to rest mm -hmm. in a place of divine joy with, mm -hmm. with Master. What do you want to share with people more than anything else? I think... For me, the two things that I love to share with people are just the fact of how special they are, how loved they are by God, how their soul is just a beautiful thing, and that everything they need, they already have. And um, just to not get too troubled by all the seeming gains and losses, but that's what Swami gave us, you know, he made us realize our own innate spiritual potential. And that's what I love. You see people who are just marvelous people, but they don't believe in themselves. They don't see it. And just to say, can't you see who you really are? You're your Divine Mother's child, and she loves you so much. And she's so pleased with you. And, you know, people, we beat ourselves up, so oh, I didn't do this and I didn't do that, or, or I did do this and that was a big mistake, and none of that matters. You know, when, this is another memory of Swami. One time, um, there was a woman visiting Ananda. It was a friend of Swami's from India, and he had invited her to come. She was a very difficult person and created a lot of problems. But Swami was always trying to help everybody. And one day, I she was giving singing lessons. So um, I'm sure she's not alive anymore. But I went to um, have a singing lesson with her. And she was putting down this other girl who had come to her and just saying, oh, this girl is no good and blah, blah, blah. And a member of Ananda. And I got very, I didn't, I. I got outraged and I said, look, 
that girl is a friend of mine, and I don't want to hear you talking. And that was, it was sort of improper for me to be, because she was senior, she was Indian, she'd go. But I, I just, I didn't want to hear, hear her putting down that girl for some very unimportant mistake she'd made. And I said, no, I, I don't want to hear you talking like that about her. She's my friend. And the woman said, oh yes, but you would never make mistakes like that. And I said, yes, I would, and I have. I've made mistakes in my life. And then she said, well, get out of here, get out of here. And then I went into this, and it, there was a Kriya that night. And there was this, I went into this downward spiral of just thinking of all the mistakes I'd made in my life and all the, you know, silly things I'd done. And, and so then we had the Kriya initiation and it was over. And I, I just, I almost didn't go to the Kriya because I felt I wasn't worthy. But I made myself go, and I waited till everybody else was left, and just Swam had left the ceremony, and just Swami was left. And I, I don't usually tell this story, but I fell down at his feet, and I was just sobbing because I just thought, oh, I'm a terrible person. I'm a terrible person. And he took me by the shoulders. I mean, I was at his feet. And he, I mean, it hurt actually. He pulled me up. And he was holding me. I don't even think my feet were on the ground. And he didn't say a word, but he just, this power went out of him to me and was like, I don't care what you have done. It's not that important. What's important now is you're a disciple of this path and you are seeking God. And in that moment, I felt transformed. All these sort of regrets and self you know, guilt and self-recrimination. I mean, I never had done anything that bad, but we all make bad judgment, have bad judgment, make bad decisions. And in that moment, I was free. I just thought, oh, I, I, I start all over, don't I? That's, that's the past. And that's, I mean, that's what I really want to share with people that don't, you know, remember Shri Teshwar said, the past lives of all men are dark with many shames. All things in future will improve if you're making the right spiritual effort now. And that's, that's what I like to share, just to let people know how special they are and how loved they are and what a remarkable thing that they're even trying to find God in this life and that they're trying to serve however ineffectively it might be. But that was one of Swami's greatest gifts to help us believe in ourselves and help us believe that we had the potential to find God. And he always held that bar up for us. You can do this. You can do this.